Heavenly Father, as we start thinking about the things above, the things of heaven, we pray for the truth of your eternal life to shape and to change our lives now. We pray that we become expectantly wanting to hear you and that what we would hear, we would receive it as good soil so that we may set our our minds and our hearts on Christ. On him and his excellence. And we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to uh, ask you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that someone uh, who hasn't been a Christian long has come to you. And they want to talk to you about something. They're really keen to grow as a Christian. To become more mature, more fruitful, more faithful. And they want to know from you, how is that going to happen? What would you say to them? How would you answer them? It's not that you do. Yeah, anything else? No, you just all sit there and go, huh? Read the word, read the Bible. Brilliant. Now, as you talk to them, it emerges that an older Christian has been speaking to them. Take them under the wing, and that's a good thing to do. Except you find out that their evidence has basically been they've given this young Christian a whole pile of lists of do's and don'ts. What they can and cannot do on a Sunday. You know, don't cut the grass on a Sunday. Make sure you're washing, especially your underwear, isn't hanging on the line on a Sunday. They've some weird dietary stuff too. All of it sounds quite Old Testament. And now this young Christian has come to you and they want a second opinion. Now, if you've been looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians, and most of you have, you'd already be familiar with that older Christian's voice. Because the church in Colossae was a young church that was keen to grow, keen to be mature. And they'd been given terrible advice about how to do that, a mix of mysticism, a supernatural experience mixed in with some Old Testament that's been misunderstood. So you look at uh, uh, verse 16 there of chapter 2. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival and human festival or Sabbath day. We already heard this morning about the Pharisees getting mixed up with the Sabbath day, not wanting a man to be healed of his blindness. They were more worried about the Sabbath day. I think it's a bit of a weird one when our rules and regulations uh, break into people being healed and saved. And Paul says, you know, a lot of this stuff, these extra behavioral instructions, they have the appearance of wisdom. They sound all holy. There's a kind of a, you know, a way that we do like to have the externals right. We like to dress nice on Sunday. But all of it's totally useless. Look at the end of verse 23 of, uh, of uh, verse 2. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So what we need to do is to put this young Christian back on the right track. Maybe we need to put ourselves back on the right track 
The place we need to go, and if we're right with Paul, the place we need to go to is Easter. Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And Paul has three things to help us tonight, uh, to give advice to ourselves or to other Christians. And his first point is this. Understand the personal significance of Easter. Look at the first part of verse 1 of chapter 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Or maybe your version says, if then you've been raised with Christ. See, a Christian grows as they live out more and more of their relationship with Jesus. And Paul sums this all up with two words, with Christ. It's a fancy doctrine called the union with Christ. You want to look it up in your theological books, but it goes something like this. It's all over the New Testament. It's got to do with with Christ, in Christ, rooted in Christ, joined to Christ, built up in Christ, united with Christ. It's like being part of his vine. Branches on a tree, a body hurt, nourished by its head. It's like a bride married to a bridegroom. So the believer is in or with or rooted to Christ. And the truth of the Holy Spirit is that there is no concept of the Christian life outside a personal connection in and joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've got a faith that says, I believe in God, but all that Jesus stuff I can't handle, that isn't Christianity. That is not Christianity. All a Christian's identity, all a Christian's blessing are bound up with Christ. Now let me explain that or apply that a little bit. Just a little bit older than Elijah would have been. I would have been, maybe yeah, around about Elijah's age, I, I, I was a Belfast boy, but my mum was from just over the border in Mullen. We used to say she came up with the Dublin Bay Prawns. Uh, and uh, her family lived down in Cavan. Her elder sister lived down in Cavan. And we used to be sent down there for a bit of countrification. Right? How to drive a tractor. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you plow a field? How do you do all this rest stuff? We're kicked down to the country. And one of the things we used to love to do was climb this mountain. Now, to be fair, they called it a mountain. It was just a big hill. And we used to chase up this hill. First one got up the hill, got a sweep. And so all of us buck agents would run up at it. Right, charge up and as quick as we could to get that top puffing and panting all the way. Now, my little cousin used to get up that hill without panting or puffing. Often she got up the hill first. And maybe you're already ahead of me, but she reached the summit without touching her feet on the ground. How did she do it? Well, my uncle used to pick her up, throw her on his back, and sprint up that hill because he was a bull of a man, and she would get up there first, often taunting us, which used to drive me mental. Look, folks, she climbed the hill with my uncle, and so it is with the Christian and Christ. It's as though God has placed us on the back of Jesus so that wherever Christ goes, the Christian goes. We have been so joined to Christ that his fortunes, his blessing, become the Christian's fortunes, the Christian's blessings, his ascent into heaven, 
has become the Christians. So much so that Paul says that our life is with Christ in heaven. And just as Christ has been raised from the dead and then raised to heaven into God's loving presence, so the Christian has been raised with him. With him we have died to sin, and then with Christ the Christian has been raised to life. It's a life that now finds its center and its value and its power from heaven above where Christ is. All of which means that Christ's resurrection is far more than just a historical fact. It's nothing less than a historical fact, but it's more than a historical fact. Let me apply that again to you. It's a bit like someone looking through paper and finding an old, an old receipt of a tech company that has, that has passed the trillion dollar mark. And then they think, that's just vaguely interesting. I read about that on, on BBC News this morning. And then they realize, hold on a second, that wee receipt that I looked at earlier on in the week, where's that? And they hook about it and they go, yeah, that was that, that, that startup company that I put a couple of quid into about 30 years ago. And then they realize that that receipt that they put in a couple of pounds ago is now worth two million pounds. Well, that's not me, by the way, all right? Just in case you get any thoughts there. The company's new wealth dramatically changes now and improves the owner's wealth and well-being. And so it is with Christ. A Christian is someone who can say they've invested their life shares in him. And so his death, it says, says no to man-made religion. And his resurrection says yes to new life. And, and, and to his ascension to heaven above. They've now become the Christians. All those things. His, his death to sin and the man-made religion, his resurrection to new life, his ascension to heaven above, has now become the Christians by faith in Christ. If you're a Christian, they're yours. And Paul's point here is that the Christian who wants to grow, what they need is a very clear sense of their new identity to Christ. A clear understanding of the break that God has made with their old life under sin when they died with Christ. We'll be thinking a little bit more about that next week. And then the next week after that radically new understanding of life with Christ. So we should be saying to young Christians, now don't start with rules. The place to go is deeper. Deepen your understanding of your new relationship with Christ and the new life that you now live because you're joined to Christ. And where he is, you are. And everything flows outward from that. Which is why Paul goes on to say, the Christian's focus is now all to be on Christ. Because we have the biblical truth, union with Christ, start of chapter 1. And now here comes the command. Look at the second half. Oh, oh, sorry, not chapter 1. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now look at the command that comes out of that biblical truth. Verse 1, second half. Look what it says there. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now to accept what Paul is saying there, we need to accept the basic truth. That where our focus is, our lives will follow. Now George, for a wee while, shut your ears to this, okay? Now imagine you're driving with your friends in a car. And you're driving, and, and you've got a car full. There's five of them in the car, right? And one of them screams at you and says, Look over there! 
And you do what your friend says, because they've shocked you. Look over there. You look over to the left. Where do you think you're going to steer? Yeah, you're going to swerve all over the other side of the road. Exactly. Because where your eyes are, that's where you're going to go. And that's why driving instructors always still tell you, keep your eyes on the road. Keep your eyes on the road. Exactly, because that's where you want to be focused. We need to remember that. And so it is with making progress as a Christian. In our war against sin, in our pursuit of Christian growth, the answer is not found in making a list of silly rules, like Christian New Year's resolutions. The key, says Paul, is focusing our eyes, fixing our focus on Christ. How do we do that? Read Christian books. Get a whole pile of things to pray for. Encourage one another. Set each other benchmarks where you're kind of saying, right, well, you know, I, I want to I learn more about this book or this book. And, 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 and get involved in a house group. Be accountable to one another. Pray for each other. Read more of the Bible. Do it together. Because we fix our eyes on Christ. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where's Christ now? Where's Jesus now? Elijah. He's in heaven. Exactly. He's in heaven. Seated at the right hand of God. And Paul already told us, Back in Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 that Jesus the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's supreme above all things, supreme over the world, supreme over the church's body. So what does it mean to seek him in his kingdom there? Well, Paul says it again differently in Colossians 3 verse 2. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here's the open secret to effective Christian living, says Paul. It's regularly, consistently, Fixing your thoughts on who Jesus is and what he is doing and what your connection to him is. Fix your mind on Christ and on his glorious kingdom, which is now yours in Christ. Set your compass to his his rule and his reign. And and the reason we're being urged to do this, it's not another list to do list. It's the fact that we're going to have to do this because we so often are, uh, we, our minds go off the, the things all over the place. We're like, you know, like me. I could watch a fly dance over a TV screen sometimes. I find myself watching the most r- pile of rubbish you ever had where you, an off switch and go and read a good book would be far better for me. Not just for my brain, but also for my soul. And this side of glory... Not many of us will find our hearts and our minds naturally drifting to the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that's the last place we want to go. Because of the ongoing presence of sin, they'll drift to the things that are on earth. Look at the end of verse 2. Not on earthly things. But what are earthly things? Does Paul not want me to, to look after my son? Does he not want me to look after my family? I, I don't think that's what he's getting at. I don't think that's what he's getting at. Paul's not saying detach yourself from the world. 
We couldn't even do that if we're up in space. You know, if we fly up to space and we're up there in the moon, we need a, a spacesuit to keep us alive. Where was that made? Here on Earth. Right? So we couldn't even do it if we're up in space. What is the earthy things? Well, actually, if we look on in our letter, we'll see in chapters 3 and 4 the way he applies this truth. Fixing our minds on Christ, well, it's very practical and very earthly because if I think I've fixed my mind on Christ, it means, verse 19 of chapter 3, I love my wife better. It means that wives will love their husbands better. You know, it says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting the Lord. Don't worry, we'll get there. We'll be preaching on that. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't get too stressed about that. All right? Children will love and obey their parents more. Looking forward to that one, Ledge. <laughs> and you want to hear this one, which is Joel constantly quotes to me. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. I will not frustrate my children if I keep my mind focused on Christ. Workers will work better for their bosses. It's all very practical, earthly stuff. And one of the things of the earth that he doesn't want us to go to, well, Paul probably has his mind in in the silly rules of chapter 2, actually, which just don't work. Because look in verse 5, Paul lists there what is earthly, put to death, therefore, what belongs to earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And these are all the things that push for our attention every day as we live in this fallen world. And what Paul is saying there is don't let your minds drift to the fallen things of this world. Instead, fix them on Christ above in his glorious reign. See, the problem with man-made rules is they look so good. They look so practical. They seem so solid. But there is... Nothing more practically effective for saving us from sin and helping us to grow in maturity as Christians as regularly turning our minds away from sin and silly man-made rules and fixing our minds on the heavenly Christ and a kingdom of which he is king. And we are citizens if we're joined to him. Now we might be worried, as I said this morning, of being called of being told that we're so heavenly minded we're no earthly use. But actually the truth is that we'll only be of earthly use if we are heavenly minded. When we set our focus on Christ above, we'll discover that in him and from him we've the power for living which no man-made religion could ever give us. Well, what does this look like then, setting our minds on Christ? Well, as I said before, it's, it's reading the Bible, isn't it? That God is a good God. He's given us a good word. Every single bit of it is good. We need to be reading it. Not as a rule. Not as a kind of a, you know, I I, I miss my quiet time one day or I'm a terrible Christian. Can I absolve you from that? You don't need to feel like that. It's not a guilt-ridden thing. You know, I don't feel guilty if, if I don't tell Lisa I love her one day. I should. But I make sure I do it the next day. Because I want a relationship with her. We want a relationship with Christ, don't we? Uh, one of the ways of setting our minds in Christ, good biblical songs. Run around your head, bouncing around, whistling them, singing them. Help you lift your eye gaze on Jesus, don't they? So can set reminders to pray through the day. You know, if you're working, you're busy, spend a little time sending up arrow prayers through the day. 
or thinking on Bible verses. You could write a note to pray at various times of the day or set a wee alarm on your phone if you're able to do that. Meeting in small groups can be a great way of doing this. As I said before, keeping each other accountable and encouraged. That's why I great here tonight with all your Bibles in front of me, when you're all looking at them and nodding in the right way, laughing at my jokes and everything, that's good. <laughs> but it's a great encouragement to see God's people engage with God's word and you're encouraging, I'm trying to encourage you, and you're encouraging me by doing that. It's brilliant. And we're all helping each other, aren't we? To focus on Christ, on his rule, on his power, on his love for his people, and on our wonderful future with him. Which is where Paul takes us in the last two verses of our passage, verses 3 to 4. So why set your focus on Christ? Because Christ is where your life is now and forevermore. And in the, the last two verses, verses 3 and 4, Paul very clear, carefully describes our connections in terms of past, present, and future. He says in the past, he says, you have, if you're in Christ, you have died. You have died. See what he says there, verse 3? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In the past... As I repented of my sin and I put my life in Christ, I died with Christ. That is, my life under the power and the penalty of my sin, done. Christ has paid it all. When I died with Christ, my focus turned from the world to him. Now, it, 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 it often goes this way, back and forth if the truth be told, but my focus is now to love him and to serve him. He is my Lord. And my present is there, again in verse 3, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I was watching the 10 o'clock news the other night, and although it was there as the kind of second or third thing, you know what wasn't the first thing? Brexit. It's been a long, long time since that happened. And hopefully as we go through it, it kind of come a little bit, a little bit new, less newsworthy. But Brexit has told us a lot about our nation. Why do you think it's thrown us into such a panic? And I'm not asking you to go whether you remain or leave or whatever. I'm not asking that question. Why do you think it's thrown us into such a panic? Uncertainty. Uncertainty. Could it be we're worried that we stand to lose things that matter most to us? So much has been around the economy and will be around the economy. And why are people so frightened about the economy? Could it be their lives are bound up in the wealth that is risked? Believer in Christ, your life is not and never at risk. Why not? Look at verse 3 again. Your life today is now hidden with Christ in God. God has so joined the Christian to Christ that it's hard to know where Christ end, ends and the Christian begins. That's what it says there. All of Christ's Christian's values, their morals, their future, all hidden safely in the person of Jesus. Nothing that is of value can be lost. I want you to hear that. Nothing that is of value can be lost. Brexit or not, cancer or not, not, 
marriage, divorce, redundancy, sickness, nothing is lost because my life is hidden with Christ. And although I can't see that physically now, one day Paul says, I will see it with my own eyes. Look at verse 4. And this is an amazing verse. When Christ, who is your life, do you see that? See where, where, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Uh, I was talking to a, a parishioner a little while back about their struggle with cancer. Uh, and there's sometimes I do, I do visits, and I don't know who's visiting who, to be true. And they were just chatting away to me, wonderful Christian lady, and she talked to me, and, and, and I went back to the car, shed a wee tear, smiled, praise God, drove on to the next visit, but two things hit me. Her unshakable confidence that Christ is still in control, and that gave her a wonderful peace. And the other thing that struck me was her unshakable confidence that she had eternal life in Christ that she knew that she was in Christ. And even though she's going through such a difficult time, she would appear with Christ in glory without cancer. And how does a Christian get that confidence? Does it just land out of the heavens? No. It's setting their minds on where their lives are kept now. And where their lives will appear in the future. With Christ their King. And that is Paul's recipe for growth. For baby Christians, and for other Christians as well, it's a reminder of the life-changing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have that relationship? By faith in him, I pray that you do. If you don't, now is the time to give your life to him. Because what confidence you can have. It's a time to share in his death. And so die to the penalties of the power of sin and then be raised with him to share in his new life, to become a citizen of his kingdom. Why not give him your past, present, and future? And on that final day, you will be so glad you did. You'll see that not one second that you gave your life to Christ was wasted. And if you're already a Christian, then please listen. You could not be more secure. You could not be more secure. You are in Christ. Your whole life now is with him. So that when Christ, who is your life, appears, verse 4, get this. Just, just get the glory of this. Get the wonder of this. Just pause on this for a little second. Get excited about this. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Wow. Wow. Nothing can take that away from you if you are in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul tells us, Set your hearts, set your minds on the things above, not on earthy things. Let's do that now as we pray together. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we praise you for raising the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. We praise you that it's not just a historical fact, but that you've bound up our fortunes and our future with him. Thank you for this gift of new life with him, with you and with the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, help us to set our hearts and our minds on Christ and on his kingdom so we see how rich, how secure, and how loved and treasured we are. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.